that's for a very specific demographic. All right. Um, thank you. So I was walking through a crowded Starbucks. This was um, before the pandemic. I was walking through a crowded Starbucks, and it happened again. I recognized it for what it was right away and was ashamed. As I moved between the tables, I saw some guy set up on his computer, some kind of video call, and obviously this was before everybody was on some kind of Zoom call all the time. And he was clearly enjoying himself, and as I walked by, I glimpsed the screen for just a second, but the other person was laughing too, and they seemed like they were having a nice time enjoying themselves, but there was something about it. Like maybe the guy in Starbucks was laughing a little too loudly or self-consciously. Maybe I thought he was awkward. I worried that maybe it wasn't going as well as he thought it was going. And I was gripped with this recognizable feeling, which is at least two feelings. The first feeling, when I'm joking about it with some of my closest friends, I call it something like the sadness of the human project. <laughs> it's some kind of sadness about like all our little human efforts, you know? All the little things we do to, to make a life. And then, just wait, because I, I know how that sounds. The second feeling, which is always right there, too, it's some, kind of, it's some kind of something about myself for feeling sad. Because I don't actually have very many judgmental feelings about the ways that other people do their human project. I don't actually care. In fact, I have a pretty strong commitment to protecting people's rights to live out their human project in their own particular way. So why do I find myself in a Starbucks or walking down a sidewalk or driving past a turnoff in the grips of this sadness plus something? So that day in Starbucks, like right after it happened, I ran into Stephen, tall, lanky Stephen with an easy laugh and a psychology office right around the corner. Hey, this isn't really fair, I said, but I wonder if I can ask your professional opinion about something. So we sat down at a table and I told him about the guy on the video call and my feeling, my feelings. The one I recognized from walking down a winter sidewalk and being gripped with sadness about an older woman with her wig on crooked. The one I recognized from driving by a man who, by all appearances, had driven to a turnoff in order to feed the ducks there. Stephen, I said, I hate that it makes me sad. Feeding ducks is fine. Like being on a video call in a coffee shop is fine. Having your wig on crooked is fine. He only had 20 minutes for his break, and he probably was not planning on a psych consult on his coffee break anyway. So he jumped in with no preamble and said something to the effect of, well, you are judging them, actually. And that feels bad because it's not really in line with your values. And he said, I wonder if part of why you're judging is that you worry that people see you and judge you for living your little life. And that, he said, is based less in, less in judgment than in your own shame. It may have been more than he bargained for over coffee. It was definitely more than I bargained for. I'll back up a little bit and tell you that when I have read Brene Brown, I have read her extremely begrudgingly. Like, I know that she's smart, and she's, like, helped a lot of people, and she's, like, super quotable, but she's so kind of, like, perky, and she has that little haircut and just, like, the right amount of sass, and, like, <laughs> I just can't. 
until a series of conversations, including this one with Stephen, a series of conversations that have been happening over years made me face the fact that I deal with a lot of shame. I'm prone to shame. And as everybody knows, if you're going to deal with shame, you're going to have to read you're going to have to read Brene Brown. <laughs> so I went online to reluctantly buy one of her books, and I went through with it in part because some of the reviewers found her very helpful. And I went through with the purchase in spite of some reviews by people who hated her books so much that I was surprised that they even took time to write a review, much less read the whole book. One disgusted reviewer might speak for someone here. I don't know. I just can't relate. The tone was almost angry. Who thinks about what other people think this much? Get a life. And actually, that, that review was one of the ones that convinced me to get the book. <laughs> like, getting a life is part of my interest in taking a look at shame. So, like, sign me up. You know, so I guess in a sermon about shame, I'm just taking my chances with what you'll think of me, someone who apparently thinks so much about what other people think of me that I not only need a Brene Brown book, but that I also judge other people in ways I don't even want to or believe in. I guess in a sermon about shame, I'm saying something that I find shameful about myself. And I don't even know if it strikes you as like that shameful a thing. But shame is personal and it's particular, and it's private by its very nature. What I find unspeakable or unsayable about myself is different from what you find unspeakable or unsayable about yourself. And we bump around the world carrying these things, and our certainty that they are in fact unspeakable gets in the way of connection and love and belonging. For millennia, Christians have been talking about the woman at the well as someone who bumped around the world with a lot of unspeakable secrets. This is the Samaritan woman who Jesus met at noon one day, the one he asked for a drink, who gave him a drink, the one who'd had five husbands, and as Jesus said, the one she has now isn't her husband. Bum, bum, bum. For millennia, this woman has been called an adulterer. She's been called a sex worker, but like not in a good way. She's been described as cut off from her community, and that's why she's alone at midday. Not the typical time to get water, progressive pastors remind people knowingly. Then she meets Jesus, and he changes her life. That woman at the well. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? They don't share things in common with each other. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give will never be thirsty the water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And then she and Jesus got into her home life, who she's living with, who she's been married to. And even for me, until very recently, 
This story lived in my mind as one of the stories that includes Jesus saying, go and sin no more. But in fact, what happens is that after Jesus asks about her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband, and Jesus says, that's right, you've had five, and this current guy is not your husband, what happens next is that they never speak about it again in any way. The woman seems to immediately take his knowing her story as a sign that he's a prophet, that he knows things, that he's someone she can ask important questions of. As long as you're here, could I get your professional opinion? And her questions aren't about her own self-worth or about shame. They're theological and political questions about the right ways to worship and the differences between her people and his divisions that ran so deep that she was surprised he'd asked for a drink of water in the first place. I wonder why, after all these, all these hundreds and hundreds of years, we've made this story about her morality. Like, there are stories in the Bible where Jesus tells people to go and sin no more. And the Bible, in general, doesn't hold back on calling people adulterers or sinners. And I wonder why, when we have no basis for it, we read into this story so much shame for her. I wonder why we have judged her and what's in it for us, if she's a sinner in a way we can point to. I wonder if it's easier to judge her than to consider how we might be judged. Easier to, to make up backstories about her than to consider and sit with our own actual backstories. Easier to think as a tradition about what her community thought about her more than about how we as a community think about others. Easier to judge how she's living her little life out in the heat of day getting water. There's nothing even that says she's alone in the story, in a story that does not skimp on details. We get the time of day, the route Jesus was traveling, the history of the well, I skipped that. We get why the disciples weren't around because they were off buying lunch. For all we know, this woman is perfectly happy. For all we know, each of her partners has died and she's had to grieve each one. For all we know, the man she's living with now is a family member, and he's sharing his household out of traditional obligation of family connections. For all we know, she has a slightly too loud, easy laugh. As a tradition, Christians have walked through her story and judged her as shameful. But Jesus just meets her as she is, political and theological. She's open to conversation, kind of atypically open across lines of propriety and custom, but so is Jesus. She's ready to engage, to spar a little even, and thirsty. She's so thirsty, just like everybody else at the well. And she doesn't have to have been immoral to be in need of something that day. And she doesn't need to have been cut off from her community to be in need of greater connection. And she doesn't need to have sinned in some great dramatic way to be yearning for God's anointed. Like everybody else, she has her own backstory and questions. And when Jesus sees her, he sees all of that. Yes, more than other people might have seen, I think. More than two millennia of Christianity has seen. Jesus sees her and they talk for like, you know, 20 minutes or so. And in his seeing her, she realizes the truth of who he is. And in her realizing the truth of who he is, many others from her city come to realize it too. Whoever she is, whatever her backstory, Jesus saw her fully, 
like for my money, he saw so many people. Whatever the particulars of her situation, Jesus seemed to know them, and he offered her something. The same thing he offers to us and to all the preachers and other people who've called this woman names over the millennia, the chance to get a life. Not one where we have to keep going back to the well, always thirsty for something we don't have, but a life that is sustainable, renewable and renewing based on what is always springing up. The chance to get a life that is not always scrabbling around for proof that I'm okay, that no one will look at my little life and judge me. The chance to get a life where I can walk around not judging others, knowing that for all I find unspeakable in me, other people have their own backstories and the things they find unspeakable in them, which may not be the same things I'd pick out for them at all. Jesus seems to have found very little unspeakable. He called sin, sin. When he forgave people as only God can, he said, you are forgiven. When he encountered people in pain, he asked, what do you need? And, and said, your faith has made you well. And to this woman, he said, pointing to the ground they stood on, there is more than just this mountain. There is more than just this well. There is a life that is beyond all that and deeper, a life that is eternal. And to me, Jesus says, get a life. Think a little less about what other people think, including that Amazon book reviewer. Including that no one cares if you read Brene Brown. To me, Jesus says, I see you. And he tells me with compassion everything I have ever done. To me, he says, I have something better for you. So you'll never be thirsty again. <laughs>